Hello and welcome to Camping with Owlbears. I am the Lonely Adventurer. I guess this is another Glaive Glog uh, episode. Hopefully it's not going to be terribly long. It's more of a follow-up than anything. I just realized I forgot to, as I often do, make an actual point <laughs> in one of my last episodes. Well, maybe I did, but there was uh, one or two other things I wanted to say uh, about uh, what I'm getting out of uh, the Glog system. Um, I also got a note on Discord that the link to the Glaive Glog rules uh, PDF is not uh, working. So uh, just in case that's still the still a problem, I will repost them again in the show links, show notes rather. Um, man, the name Glaive Glog that's terrible. <laughs> Glaive two point eh. Glaive works great when it's based on Nave. Obviously, a little tie in there so I need something better for for what this actually is I've just been calling it Glaive to not confuse my players but uh, I feel like I need to come up with a better name for it anyway uh, before we talk about that I've got a message here from Spencer aka Free For All from Keep Off The Borderlands let's take a listen hello lonely adventurer Spencer here and I just wanted to say thank you for putting out that episode on switching Glaive over from Nave to Glog and your thinking behind that. I come across Glog myself a few years ago and although I really like the sort of design philosophy and the great stuff that was being produced around that system, um, I really failed to click with the actual system itself, much like you were saying there. And um, yeah, I'm wondering if Glaive is the way to go for me to actually finally wrap my head around it. Anyway, really enjoyed the episode, and thanks again for putting it out. Take care, man. Yeah, I, I definitely hear that, Spencer. I think I first discovered Glog, ooh, probably about two years ago now, and uh, bounced off it several times. I think I might have mentioned that in the other podcast, the previous podcast, but um, yeah, I, there's a great amount of creativity and enthusiasm for it in its little kind of miniature OS, its micro OSR offshoot community, whatever you want to call it. Um, but there's almost like a certain level of pride taken in how uh, distributed and kind of uh, disorganized it is. <laughs> um, and it's interesting because everyone's version of the Glog is truly unique. Um, we've got rollover Glogs, you've got roll under Glogs. You've uh, got uh, glogs based on the 3.5 rules, um, just a little bit of everything. And I, I think that's kind of an interesting thing about the glog is that, um, well, before I say that, uh, let me back right up. Yeah, hopefully maybe maybe my version of it is the one that will, will make it click for you, Spencer. Mine is, is basically procedurally, it's BX. As is as is Glaive, right? As is Nave. Um, so none none of those parts of the game have have changed at all. Uh, well, I guess Nave doesn't really have them, being only a seven page document. But uh, I included a bunch of the stuff from uh, uh, from BX in in the original version of Glaive, as far as you know, movement and turns and how combat works and the order of combat and stuff like that. And, um, so my version of the Glog still includes all of those things. Uh, you're reworded here and there to be a little clearer. But uh, So if you understand OSE, 
you'll understand my version of the glog. Uh, I guess maybe that's a great, a better way to put it. Um, yeah. So back to the fact that they're all different. Everyone's is unique. That is actually kind of one of the foundational principles. Uh, the creator himself, Arnold Kemp, uh, actually says at some point on his blog that, you know, the, the true nature of the glog is to uh, destroy the glog and build your own. Um, which is why he made everything Creative Commons, um, so that it's just maximally available for everyone and everyone to mess around with. Um, but there was there was one more thing that I've really been... One, there's one thing that, that they all have in common, and it ties into the thing that I want to talk about, the, the other reason that uh, it, it kind of clicks for me and jives for me. Um, they all have in common the idea of uh, templates for the classes, um, which, you know, you, you can equate quite easily to the class abilities or powers that you get in modern Dungeons and Dragons, uh, except there's only four levels of them. And uh, I know I've said this before, but it bears repeating that each one is intended to be a distillation of what makes a, a given class exciting over 10 or 20 or 30 plus levels, depending on the version of D&D or Pathfinder that you're playing. And to just take the best, the absolute best parts of that and get it all in in the first four levels of play, um, which is how Glaive was working also, uh, or the idea behind it uh, was to take these, the, the highlights and, and pack them in, in in the talents and you get them all in the first four levels in Glaive also. Um, so they've all got that in common, these templates, and they all more or less uh, without modification use the, the D6 magic system um, where you're rolling a pool of dice, and if you uh, spells are rewritten to uh, their effectiveness is based on the number of dice rolled and the sum that you roll on those dices, those dices on those dice, um, dice that roll uh, three or less return to your pool, and dice that roll four and above are lost for the day. And so it's kind of a you know it's a it's a nice. If you roll low, you're at least getting them back, and you're going to get to try again. Or maybe it's still successful. Maybe you didn't need a high roll, um, so you get to hold on to those dice. And if you roll real high and you lose them, at least you know your spell was maximally effective. So that's fine. Um, so those, those are the two things that all of the glogs are going to have in common. Um, I've got a second one that's somewhere out there. Uh, I think it's if you if you can find the big master list of glogs and if not uh let me know I'll, I'll send a link if anyone's interested um i've got two glogs out there actually the first one i wrote it's not as well put together as the one i've been tinkering with here forever the glaive one but it, uh it's it's actually i think i actually just called it camping with owlbears as a placeholder and never changed it but it is uh the white hack as a glog um so that's a roll under system uh sandwich system really where you're trying to roll high but roll under um, and I really enjoy the mechanics of white hack a lot. Um, but it's also a little, it's a little weird and it's one of those ones that players often do not like, <laughs> uh, at least that's what I've heard. I haven't, uh, tried, uh, getting anyone to play it, but <clears throat> so anyway, yeah. And those two things though, the magic system and the templates, um, what, where that's exciting for me is the same place that doing the talents uh, for the first version of Glaive was exciting for me, and that it's taking um, it's taking the 
mechanical fiddly bits that I find interesting and exciting in Wizards of the Coast uh, D&D. Uh, although I think, I think I like the 4th edition version of stuff better than the 5th edition version of stuff because it was just better defined, I think, and it was more concise. Um, you know, the, the rules on grappling were 500 words in 4th edition and they're 5,000 words in 5e and, and, and just all of the different spells and everything were much more condensed and, and better written, I think, uh, from, a, from a gaming mechanics point of view in 4e. And I don't think it was, I don't like the 4e game better than fifth ed but um the way they organized information i think was was much better um anyway it's it's taking those powers and those abilities and whatnot but it is scaling them down to the 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 power level of bx uh which is where i which is the kind of that's my sweet spot for for gaming in general is that kind of low level power people are normal even if they are exceptional they're still just people um you know it's like it's the difference between liking uh, Captain America, who is a, a peak human, but he's still human, and then liking Superman, who is space Jesus. <laughs> you know, you know, um, they're they're the two can't compare with one another, um, at least on a power scale, of course. Uh, which I, I may have just opened the 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 can of worms that's going to lead to a, a, the equivalent of the Batman versus Superman argument: who would win? Um, but anyway, <laughs> so it's taking the, 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 power bits that I enjoy from, uh, the more super heroic games, but scaling them down to a level that I just find much more pleasant to run. Um, and since all of that, the, the bigger numbers are just a perception thing, they're not a, it's, you're not actually more powerful because the monsters are all more powerful. Also, you're, it's just more, uh, more bookkeeping, and so if 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 you keep the number smaller, it runs faster. It's a lighter, more flexible system, I think. Anyway, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I really want to talk about. But that was that was the thing I I, I forgot to talk about in the last two podcasts was just that I, I'm I'm getting the same sort of uh, excitement of mixing uh, the two things I like best about the opposite ends of the Dungeons and Dragons spectrum into. Uh, one game uh, where, where neither individually BX or 5e um, excite me very much. There are parts of them that excite me a lot, and putting them together is a lot of fun for me. Um, yeah, so I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Well, I should probably give you all a, uh, uh, an Owlbear Heist Crew update. Huh. All right, well, let me pause this and dig out my notes because it's been a while. Uh, I will be right back. All right, I'm back. So the Owlbear crew is still uh, deep in the point crawl of the dead city of Iztec. Now, all the work I put into this is really paying off. I haven't had to do much in the way of prep in quite some time. Um, caveat. <laughs> there were two nodes I had not properly fleshed out. So, of course, the players went there. Um, and had to scramble to get them ready beforehand. Um, however, I was able to put together enough notes and improvise enough on the spot that they both ended up turning into really interesting uh, encounters that played out in ways that I never would have predicted, and I really, really enjoyed it. We introduced a new kind of monster type. Um, I did one of my... Um, I took the idea of just use bears... 
Um, and then I looked at some other mundane animals that never uh, get used. I had to, I had doodled this creature, uh, kind of a six-legged, um, eyeball-encrusted crab, I guess, with these kind of uh, uh, spore sacs um, on its thorax, and where it would have had feet and stuff, not it just had giant human hands. Um, it's pretty creepy, apparently, I'm told. Um, and it was huge. And so I said, well, I'll just use the stats for an elephant. Uh, if you look up the stats for an elephant in OSE, relative to characters in OSE, these things are monstrous. Um, which I suppose is a silly thing to say about something in the monster section, but you know what I mean. Uh, absolutely nuts. But it was, it was mostly a role-playing uh, scenario and this creature kind of wanders around in its node collecting uh, lichen and mushrooms and fungus and whatnot and it's got a bunch uh, dozens of eggs that it, and, and hatchlings that it needs to feed and it snacks it snatches up any uh animals or humanoids it can that wander by uh to supplement this diet but it doesn't do it cruelly it it it, it gives off hallucinatory uh, spores from these spore sacs in, in much the way uh, that, uh, that myconids in D&D have that kind of uh, chill you out let's all be friends uh, uh, ability with the, some of the spores that they can give off uh, it, it basically uh, forces you to do a constitution save and if you fail you just feel really chill and you are inclined to do pretty much whatever this thing asks of you as long as it's not putting yourself directly in harm's way um, but it phrases all of its statements and answers all of your questions about why it wants you to come with it and where you're going in very sort of, uh, the, is it the day that Earth stood still where there's the, the how to cook for humans <laughs> or how to prepare, you know, the, the cookbook, whatever, um, where either they're going to deliver uh, unto the player character some great benefit and boon or they're going to put them in a cook pot and, and gobble them up and they just don't know. Of course, the answer is they're going to put them in a cook pot and gobble them up. Um, so they had a big combat with this thing. Uh, they had a really difficult time disengaging from it. I'm trying to come up with some good disengage rules. Uh, it's, I don't know. I guess what's in BX works okay. Um, I suppose it works fine. I just had everyone do a deck save to try and outrun this thing. And if they passed, they passed. And if they didn't, they didn't. I've really been leaning into the all saves for everything and making everyone roll the 15 or better. Um as in the original version of Glaive, and I'm finding that number is a bit tough, but I'm kind of enjoying that it's tough, and well, of course, I'm the dungeon master, of course, I'm enjoying it, but I, I did poll the players, too, and they are enjoying that also, like, it's kind of like they know other parts of the game are heavily weighed in their favor, and the fact that these saves are where things get really tough for them is, is kind of interesting to them. However, I think in the long term, it, it could be, and especially at lower levels, um, you know, these guys are 6th and 7th level now, and they're still failing a lot of saves. Um, and they've got plus 7s, plus 6s. Um, so at lower levels, this is going to just be murderous if I stick to it um, uh, rigidly. So, yeah, I, I may have talked about this, I think, when talking about Glee of Glog and the, the changes. So I'm just, just just change it down to, number, to 13 for the new version. But we're not playing the new version. Uh, yeah, so so Farcan almost became uh, Mulch. Uh, luckily, Mulch, the... Uh, the men here, the the uh, rock golem person thing, uh, does not breathe, and so was unaffected by the spores and ran in and literally just picked up the elf and ran away. And this this kicked off a combat with the the elephant. Um, they eventually got away from him. They are trying to uh, infiltrate 
the eastern, the southeastern edge of my map, which is uh, where the maggot elves have uh, their their base camp, their nightmare tree that they're spawned from, and a couple of nodes set up as as checkpoints and uh, kill zones and ambushes. Um, and they are doing this because they met uh, a strange fellow named Calithrax in the hot springs area uh, of the dead city, uh, and he knows where this. Uh, uh, MacGuffin is that they are looking for and he has agreed to he will show them where it is he will let them have it uh, if they will um, get rid of this nightmare tree for him there's enchantments and, and, and stuff that do not allow him to enter that part of the city and if you take they take this out he will have free reign over there um, and basically uh, the reason he gave for why he thought they could do it where he couldn't he's clearly obviously a very clearly uh, powerful individual um which is true he's a he's a he's a dragon though the, the players don't know that he just hangs out in his hot springs uh looking like david bowie um offering people tea when they when they wander by uh and it's just that he's too powerful and magic magical and so there's all sorts of wards and alarms that he sets off when he goes over there but these guys are are boring and mundane enough that they should be able to get in and, and do the job for him um, at which point uh, they will have what they need to activate the Cathedral of Madness, though they don't know this exactly yet what this thing does, and that will take them to the, the kind of the final uh, dungeon in this campaign. Um, I almost call it a sandbox. It's not a sandbox campaign, but whatever we want to call this. It's, <laughs> there's definitely a story going on, uh, and there is kind of a narrative, but uh, I don't know what you call that. <laughs> it's definitely open world, though. They can go wherever they want. Uh, we almost, uh, they were in another node, in an Acropolis node, where they discovered a whole dungeon, and in a panic, I, that was another area I hadn't uh, plotted out, uh, or didn't have uh, fully filled in. Um, well, I had the node filled in, and then also said, oh, there's a little dungeon here called the Crypt of the Restless Dead or something. And, uh, of course, they decided to pick the lock on this this locked and chained giant mausoleum and then go investigate that and so I just hit my pdf file and grabbed the first thing I saw and we made it about three or four rooms into it and it was afterwards that I realized well not realized it was uh, it was afterwards that it sunk in that I'd grabbed uh caverns of Thracia which is a massive dungeon uh, that will take months and months for us to get through. <laughs> so I had to pull back the, the DM curtain and, and uh, come clean with my my players and say, look, uh, I wasn't ready for that. I grabbed this thing. If you want to do that, if you want to just do this dungeon crawl, that will be, that's fine with me. Uh, at one point, one of them said, well, you know, we could do this big dungeon crawl, but like you can't kill any of us. You need us to save the caretaker, to save the god of this world. And I was just like, no, 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 no. You know, if you guys kick the bucket some other group of npc adventurers will either take care of that for me or the next group of players who come along will have will have the opportunity to decide whether or not they want to engage with this plot point or not uh there is no plot armor so we explored a little bit but they said you know a short dungeon would be would be better so i've actually written up a little something that modifies the first few rooms of uh <clears throat> of caverns of thracia uh into kind of a fun more of a role-playing uh dungeon than anything else uh, let's see, where else have they been, and how much, what other trouble have they gotten into? Uh, they went into the Cathedral of Madness, which I didn't expect. It's hidden way down in the bottom corner of the map, away from everything that they've been interested in and looking at. Um, but they stumbled into it by accident, and, uh, I think it was, oh, they were, uh, after escaping, uh, Magor the Watchful, the, uh, the giant 
human-handed, crab-legged, uh, eye-covered creature. Uh, they ended up in this place, uh, and, uh, triggered a very nasty trap, uh, set, uh, uh unleashing, uh, a gem golem hydra, um, which was, uh, not fun to run, <laughs> um, and we had, like, 13 heads, and each head gets its own attack, I don't, I, I can see why this is not a monster that comes up all that often in a lot of discussions of D&D, because it just, it, it isn't fun to run, it's not fun to fight, um, I eventually ended up between sessions, uh, we, we ended the combat on a cliffhanger, I actually rewrote it, because I just pulled, uh, stats from, <coughs> excuse me, uh, from Arnold Kemp, actually, the, the uh, Goblin Punch, the creator of Glog. Um, although I find I don't like his monsters at all. Like, they seem, they feel to me like they're written by someone who hates their players. <laughs> uh, and they're just, they're just overly complicated from a, from a Dungeon Master point of view also. Um, so I dug into uh, some kind of simplified uh, 4E rules for stuff and, and started treating the, the 15 heads more like little squads and... Um, it went really well. Uh, we almost lost FJ. I think I, I may have already talked about this. I'm sorry. Um, we almost lost someone. Uh, we it was a real hard fight. They got all messed up. So uh, it was uh, it was it ended up working out in the end. Uh, the treasure they got is not too awesome, but it's pretty good. Um, and they explored a little bit of this this dungeon. Um, what else have we done down here? Uh, we fought some giant frogs. We made friends with a village full of uh, crab people who are tormented by the maggot elves. So another reason to get rid of them. Uh, we fled from a giant composite troll that was living under a bridge. Um, it's been good. It's been real good. And we're looking. I'm just looking at my uh, my my map. And yeah, I'd say maybe maybe half of the map they've they've uncovered. They have run into uh, a couple of patrols of uh, sonic dwarves. And uh, been charged an entry fee to the city. They have little tokens they have to show. Um, these guys are very auto- uh, automaton-like and uh, very rigid versus the chaos and the nastiness of the, the Maggot Elves. Um, there's a, they know that these dwarves have a bounty on the Maggot Elves, uh, so they've been collecting hands um, and carrying them around with them uh, in, in, with the idea that eventually they will go figure out where the, uh, the Sonic Dwarves base camp is and uh tur- turn those in um and i think i think that's it um oh the, i guess the only other thing they ran to another bunch of adventurers uh two of them dead just skeletons on the ground the third a, a wizard uh trapped in a warding circle um that she cannot be heard through so uh we used a little read minds um and that led to hurt feelings because <laughs> they were just reading her surface thoughts and she was thinking, who are these idiots and how can I use them to get out of this trap? Um, so they've passed her a couple of times and it's kind of a stasis bubble. So she's just sort of there indefinitely until someone decides to get help her out of this thing. Uh, she was placed in the, this stasis trap by uh, Calithrax, the uh, the dragon. Uh, but she's got something that the... Uh, the Witch of Iztac needs. Uh, I think the players were headed to her zone next, actually. Yes, that's it. They, they um, after getting their asses kicked uh, quite a few, few different ways by different things, they ended up back at the Calithrax to regroup and ask for actual advice. Um, and he let them know that he's heard rumors that there's a boat somewhere on the northern 
edge of the city in the north uh, so all the way back where they came in basically um and he, they could probably use this boat to bypass all of these nodes that they're struggling with between calithrax and uh, the maggot elves um basically flank them and come in from behind if they come from the water of course the river's not safe either but i didn't mention that part um so they are making their way uh back across uh, back north up through the city and i think they're gonna yeah their their next destination is the witch's node and, and the thought was the party would hang out there and the aracocra would fly across the river uh, once again they'd forgotten forever and then suddenly remembered they have a person who can fly so they're gonna send the owl across to get the boat and uh bring it back to them so yeah that's where we are at now it's been good we've been gaming every week for uh two and a half hours we've got, we've got a hard start and a hard end and it's been it's been really nice um i much prefer the shorter and very and the regular sessions uh on zoom it's a, a lot easier to run and uh none of our attention you know it's it's just enough time that we don't start to get bored and our attention doesn't really drift anyway so that's where we're at with that um uh, there i my five minute update turned into a classic rambling lonely adventurer uh ramble uh let's see i guess the only other thing is uh you should check out the uh, maps that my one of my players has been making uh, i have a very nice flow chart and lists and stuff that you know a very organized organized uh way of keeping track of this but one of my players is mapping this out uh and it's 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 reading more like a cartoon version of um um <laughs> uh, the Bayer Tapestry, that's it. Um, had to had to rummage around through the files at the back of my head there to pull that up. <laughs> the Bayou Tapestry, Bayer Tapestry, I, I forget how to say that. Um, and it's in several chunks. It's pretty amazing. But uh, I'll put my uh, a link to my um, my social media stuff. And if you feel like digging around for that, it's, it's all in there on Twitter and uh, Instagram and whatnot. Um, it's all just uh, at Scott underscore... W-E-G-N-A. Uh, all my junk can be found there. So yeah, that's that's it. I'll talk to you all the next time I have anything to talk about, I guess. <laughs> all right. Later. Lonely Adventurer, out.